what does the average week look like for you? Sure, it may start with church on a Sunday morning, but by Monday morning, can any of us remember what the sermon was about? We spend so much of our lives doing so many things, transporting our kids around, spending too many hours in the office, trying to find time to spend with our spouse. But most of what we do related to our faith is crammed into about 80 minutes on a Sunday morning. Did you know that in a week, there are 10,080 minutes? If we're spending 80 of those related to our faith, what are we doing with the other 10,000? That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah, we're going to do this podcast and we're going to be covering all sorts of different things, but it is about those 10,000 minutes. It's about how we live our life and how we can bring faith into every single one of those minutes and not just leave it with our church on Sunday mornings. So what we're going to do is all sorts of different things. We're going to dive deeper into some of the messages on a Sunday, things that we can't cover. We're going to cover questions that you might have. We might bring in a third or fourth person into this podcast if there's an expert we can ask for an opinion from. And we're just really trying to figure out how can we take faith and apply it to our lives. So we're going to start out for this first dozen or so episodes that we're going to put together is going deeper and farther into some of the Proverbs of the book of Ecclesiastes. So just a couple weeks ago, I started our Ecclesiastes series. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You like you too, Sawyer? <laughs> I like you too. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like uh, the name of that song and, and the name of that series because it, it's so interesting. Um, but we're not only going to cover what we talked about in messages, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really interesting because it's considered wisdom literature. Um, and part of that is that it has a lot of Proverbs. A lot of Proverbs are just one-off sentences or or just a couple sentences that contain a whole idea. Well, if I was going to preach sermons covering that, well, I'd need one for every single proverb, and that would take us weeks and weeks and months and months. So in order to be able to get through more of the Bible than just spend Ecclesiastes for the next three months, we're going to take some of those Proverbs and break them down and focus on them in this first 12 weeks. So we're starting kind of today in this episode looking at chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes because there's a whole bunch of Proverbs thrown in. So we're going to look at some of these, and these ones in particular, starting in verse 1, going all the way through verse 4, are all about your favorite subject, death. (laughs) And on that happy note, let's jump right in. So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting off with verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. Perfume. Do you wear any perfume or cologne, Sawyer? You know, when Sarah and I go out on a date, you know, I I, I put a few spurts here now and again, but Sarah really likes to wear perfume. I mean, she's never been like a name brand person, you know, like Tommy Hilfiger or Chanel or I don't know what popular perfumes are. But what, what about you? Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. I'm or, not a cologne guy. Not a cologne guy. No. More of a natural. I, w- I once had a, a can of, bo- or what was it called, Bod? Oh, yeah, Bod. Do you remember that? <laughs> you remember that? And I don't know where I got it from, but somebody, one of my friends came over in high school and poured it out. 
I think it was on purpose, in my bedroom, and it just stunk for months, and I swore off I would never use cologne ever again. Yeah. But but it's weird, though, right? So he says, like, a good name is better than fine perfume. Hmm. So I think we often think perfume nowadays is like he gives that extra bit of scent, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But you have to think about who he's writing to originally. These were people who were not consistently bathing. They maybe had a bath every couple of months. Like, these were smelly people, let alone that they didn't have a very good waste system. So they, of all people, needed perfume. Yeah. They had to drench themselves to cover their natural smell. Mm-hmm. And he says, even more than that, even more that something that's going to make you actually smell decent is a good name. Hmm. And so I, I think what he's getting at in this is that not only should we be people that try to make our external selves look good, but that we actually carry a reputation, that we're known as a good person, that our name carries weight. So basically what it's saying is that your reputation is, is more important than even your hygiene. Even your hygiene. <laughs> that's good, that's good. You know, I think that's really important I remember once in college, as an exercise, my Bible study leader, Dave, had us think about the end of our life hmm. and what we'd want either written on our tombstone or said as a eulogy written about us, and just thinking, what's that reputation you want when you die? You know, that reputation hmm. that you have at the end. And then he said, okay, now that you've written that down, that was the exercise, now think back. What is it going to take so that 30, 40, 50, 70 years from now, you know, I was 18 at the time. What God is willing. It? Yeah, yeah, God willing, <laughs> 70, 80 years from now, what do you want people to say and how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. And I think that exercise of reverse engineering your life is so important and such a helpful thing to do. Think about the end. What do you want your reputation to be then? And now what do I have to do now to make that possible? Yeah. That's such a great idea because I think it's it's really easy for us to get wrapped up in well, I have all these goals, like, how am I going to achieve them? But if you actually think about what are people going to remember about you and focus on that, I think that's way more significant. Yeah, definitely. The second half of that proverb, tying the two together, it says, a good name is better than fine perfume, but then, and the day of death better than the day of birth. So in the same way that um, a good reputation is better than good hygiene, yeah. so is the day of death better than the day of birth. And that's so fascinating because we celebrate birthdays every year. We love when a baby's born. But the day that you die is really important because that's when your reputation is finalized. It's literally sealed. Hmm. It's done forever. It's true. Um, I Before coming here to Stapleton, I was a pastor for five and a half years in Nebraska, and it was an older congregation. And I became in a small town of 1,700 yeah. people. I became the pastor of the whole town, so I did a lot of funerals. I did 25 funerals in five years. Wow. So that was a ton of experience with death, and I didn't have, like, any before I got there. So that was interesting, Um, and and it made me think a lot about my funeral. What is it going to be like for me? What are people going to say about me? Because some of these people, you know, were drug addicts or alcoholics. Others died very young. Some had great family relationships. Other people... You know, their family hated them. Right. Uh, And it makes you think, well, what do I want to be at my funeral? And I remember in particular there was one man, Elmer, and I had gotten to know him over several years. He was in his 90s, so lived a long life. Yeah. And a pretty incredible life, too. He had served in World War II, and both of his brothers had died in World War II, which Mm. is crazy. 
Um, and, and then he came back. And he had a, a long career as a lineman, you know, fixing a uh, football player. No, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, electrician. Okay. Yes, yeah, okay. like, yeah. Uh, just to clarify. Yeah. Just um, to, yeah. And then he actually was part of the volunteer fire department and became the fire chief. So it was incredible. At his funeral, not only were the military representatives there, Army, to do a 21-gun salute, which if you've ever been to a funeral with that. It's a powerful moment. Yeah. But then also, at the end of the funeral, so I gave my message, did all the funeral steps, the end of it, the fire department did something that they called the last page. You ever heard of that? No, I've never heard of it. So it's it's a really interesting tradition. And because in the town with the volunteer fire department, all of these guys work other jobs. So right. in order to get all the volunteers to a fire or the scene of an accident, they have to page everyone, as well as sending a big siren around <laughs> the small town. So all of the firemen and women were standing at attention mm-hmm. at the very end of this funeral, and the operator uh, sent out a last page. So all of their beepers went off at the same time, and they gave a signal saying, this is the last pe- page for Elmer. Mm-hmm. And it was such a powerful moment. Not a single dry eye in the house. Yeah, I was sure. trying to just hold it together because I'm in the front, everyone's looking at me, but I couldn't. I yeah. couldn't look at the family because they were just weeping. But it was such a powerful moment because this man, not only had he served his country, willing to give his life in World War II, but then he had come and, and daily and weekly been willing to give his life as, as a fireman. And it was so powerful because that was his reputation. Mm-hmm. Even in his 90s, which I don't, if you've ever been to a funeral of someone in the 90s, there's not very many people left around that they're friends. That's they're all true. Dead. But yeah. his funeral was packed. It was packed because he had set up a life with a good reputation. Mm. And he had he had staked his life on it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yep. That's really awesome. Yeah, I hope I can have a funeral like that, too. You know, I want to reverse engineer. What do I have to do now so that I could have that kind of good reputation on the day of my death? Yeah. Yeah, I want the same thing. I think I think all of us do, if we're honest. If it, it's kind of morbid to think about death, but if we if we use it as a as a motivator for how we're going to live our life, I think it, I think it's doing it doing it right. It's doing how you should be living. So, verse two. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Mm. This verse hits me. Death is the destiny of everyone. You guys know, I'm a a pretty young guy, like 27 years old. And even now, like, death is not something I think about on a a daily basis by any means. Like, I think when you're young, you're like, eh, it's something that happens long ago, or long down the road, right? And you live like you're never going to die, right? But if we really think about it, that... Death is the destiny of everyone. It's going to happen at one point or another. And it, it never really hit me until I had a friend. Um, and it's still hard to talk about. Um, a friend in my senior year of high school that ended up dying from an overdose. And you, you just yeah. don't think that people, obviously you hear about people on the news that die when they're that young, even 17 years old. And you just, it stops you in your tracks because not only do you miss this person, but it like smacks you upside the head with reality that death can be right around the corner and that it is the destiny of everyone. And, but that, that, that 
you, it doesn't leave you there. Is that the living should take this to heart. Mm-hmm. And that, obviously, we're going to miss that person. And I, I still miss my friend, but yeah. that it gives you some sense of motivation for life. Is yeah. that you, in order to live well, you you want to have a healthy fear of death. Hmm. Yeah. Not just fear. Not just fear, because I, as Christians, I mean, we're promised that we don't need to fear death. But it doesn't mean we should ignore it either. Right. I think it's so interesting here that it says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. You know, we think feast, party, that's right. that's where life is, right? At, at, where we at want the to big be. moments, yeah. The parties. But it's it's saying it's better, it's more wise to go to a house of mourning. So it's better to think about death. You know, and this is a hard thing for us to do because it seems so counterintuitive, but it can be a beneficial thing. Um, I think we got this idea from Beth Moore, and now I think back, but okay. one time Melissa and I were in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we would just travel. There it was about an hour and a half from our town, and we were just trying to figure out what to do, and we drove by this beautiful, what we thought was a park, so we pulled in. Well, it turns out it was a cemetery. And But and instead of turning around, we brought our lunch that we had just bought, and we went into the cemetery. We found a park bench next to a lake, next to some headstones, right? And we sat there, had our lunch, and talked, and it was really powerful. Now, I, I, I'm sure it was. I don't want to question <laughs> that. But to be honest with you, Matt, I think that's a little weird. Like, if, if Sarah and I were in this situation and we're like, oh, this is not a park, this is a cemetery, let's go elsewhere. Yeah. So what, what, what brought you to be like, no, let's stay anyway? Well, I think Melissa had said that idea from Beth Moore. I, I think that's who it was from. Okay. That, that just like being in a cemetery can make you think and change your conversation. Hmm. So we said, let's do it. Let's have a date in a cemetery. And, yeah, I don't necessarily know if I'd recommend it for everyone. <laughs> Although that might be a good test if you're trying to figure out if someone's the one going on a date <laughs> cemetery with them. Really yeah. contemplate marriage for life at yeah. that point, you know? <laughs> Do you want your name written next to mine? <laughs> um, but but I, I don't know. It was healthy. We had great conversation, hmm. and it really made us focused on our life that we were living right sure. then. Sure. Um, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. There, there's that cemetery right down on Lowry on Quebec. It's mm-hmm. a pretty big, I think it's Fairmount or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Fairview? Fairview. No, I think you're right, yeah. And I saw, it was a couple months ago now, but they were showing movies at the cemetery. I think it was some, I don't know, some horror movie, and you go to the cemetery at night, and you watch this movie. I was like, do they have a lot of people for that? Like, I don't know, we should check it out. It's a good time to go check it out sometime, or maybe, you know, maybe you need to take somebody on a date to the There cemetery. you go, yeah. As long as they're not showing, like, Pet cemetery or something. I don't oh. know, that'd be too much for yeah. them. Yeah. Ugh. But anyway, I, I, think, I think you're totally spot on, is that when we actually take time to contemplate, like, death and to actually slow down our lives enough where we can actually say, that's something that's going to happen, like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, how am I going to impact the world for Christ right now? Because death could be around the corner. I think it actually stops us in our tracks and allows us to actually change what we're trying to do to change our life. Yeah, I just talked with a guy the other day, and he was telling me that he had a pivotal moment in his life for him and his wife hmm. because they were young and married and they were driving 
think it was up in Wyoming. Yeah. But they hit an ice patch. The car flipped. Oh, wow. And in an accident that totaled the vehicle and should have killed them, they both walked away unscathed. Yeah. But um, being that close to death, like, changed everything about them. They decided they were going to have kids. They changed <laughs> career path. They, they wow. moved. They changed so much about how they lived. He said it changed everything mm-hmm. just to think about death and the reality of it. Yeah. I think that's why Solomon would even say that. The living should take this to heart. Yeah. It's for the living. I think it's interesting. This whole section of Proverbs is all about these things that are almost counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Counterintuitive. I, I think the next one is, is the same way. Yeah. Well, let's look at it. Uh, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. I think most of us, on, on the first pass on that, I was like, frustration is better than laughter. Is it? Like, I, I don't know if it really is. Like, I don't know about you. I I like a serious movie now and again. But when I go to the movies, I like seeing comedies. Like, I like to kind of, you know, relax for a bit, just kind of not think about the stresses of life and just laugh, right? So, like, Solomon's like, no, no, no. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Yeah, I mean, once again, this is like a counterintuitive thing. Very. Because laughter, yeah, that's fun. Mm -hmm. Those moments of happiness are fun. But it's sometimes the frustrating times or the very sad times, like grief, like like we've said, can make you think about your life better and, in fact, will lead eventually to the most happiness. Mm. Um, Most people think, oh, it's just laughing, it's jokes. That's the good part about life. But actually, those moments that are really hard, frustrating, and sad create the deepest growth in our own lives. Um, I've experienced that myself. The hardest times in my life, whether it's the frustration sometimes of being a pastor and and struggling (laughs) to figure something out, or the grief that Melissa and I have experienced with things like miscarriages, like those moments, I feel like we've grown so much more as people and as followers of Jesus, Mm -hmm. way more than the happy times. Yeah. It's true. Have you noticed that in your life too, sir? I definitely have. I mean, as I talked kind of about in my last sermon, like that first year of being out here in Denver, like Sarah and I's first year of marriage and just the difficulty of never seeing one another or the difficulties of seminary and just that focused time of studying and trying to make ends meet. And man, that was like the hardest time in our lives. But I think it really like brought us together as a couple and certainly brought us closer to God and relying on him to actually sustain us. Cause yeah, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to forget that when we're happy, we focus on ourselves and, and it's in those moments of frustration and those challenges in that grief, even that draws us back to God. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Frustration, grief. There was a study I saw by some researchers at the Yale university school of medicine hmm. and they, focused on prisoners of war from Vietnam. I mean, if you can imagine a harder, more difficult time, filled with the grief of being away from family, suffering torture. And this is what they wrote. They said, they have been impressed by the number of prisoners of war, of the Vietnam War, who explicitly claimed that although their captivity was extraordinarily stressful, filled with torture, disease, malnutrition, and solitary confinement, they nevertheless benefited from the captivity experience, seeing it as a growth experience. Wow. Yeah. 
that that baffles my mind because I th- I think if any one of us were like asked or had the opportunity to be like, hey, do you want to go be a prisoner of war for a month or years? You know, it's a great growth experience. It's really going to change your life. I don't think many of us would put ourselves in that situation. I know I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's why in verse 4 now, Solomon says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, Hmm. but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Mm. That's impactful, man. Because I think so much of, you know, I'll I'll be honest, so much of my life is just trying to make things as comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. Have a comfy couch. Drive a, a, you know, comfortable car. I don't need a McLaren or anything, but drive a decent car. You know, have a nice place to sleep at night, focusing on pleasure, you know, enjoyment, entertainment, that sort of stuff. But is that really helping me? Like, is that really allowing me to grow, to strengthen my life? Like, is that really the best situation for me to grow closer to God? I think Solomon would say, "Mm, I don't know if it is. And Solomon, if anyone, would be like, man, if he knew that pleasure was the route to growth, he would know, right? Because he had everything. Right, right. He tried it all. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, Greg Easterbrook, he's a sports writer, but he had a book that came out several years ago, and the title of the book, I love it, it's called The Progress Paradox, and the subtitle is How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. <laughs> because our whole world is like about comfort, like oh, you yeah. said. It's like, how can we get more comfortable how can we get more thread counts in our sheets so it's not, you know. So everything is about comfort and making oh, yeah. our life easier. And yet people are less and less happy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So is therefore the solution that we just need to seek after discomfort? You know, should we sleep on sandpaper? Uh, maybe. It might be. <laughs> we may need to take a look at the things that we have and say, man, do I really need this? Yeah. yeah. But I, I think what Solomon is getting at is that it – it almost, I mean, it matters how you think about your things, but it almost doesn't matter how much you have. Is that the things that you try and do or the things that you try and get aren't really going to change you. Mm-hmm. It's how you think about those things. Okay. It's yeah. having an intentionality, a thoughtfulness of having an open heart to be, God, grow me. Yeah. God, give me wisdom. God, put me in situations, maybe even discomfort situations yeah situations of discomfort and i think it's really easy for us to shy away from the hard parts of our lives solomon is mm-hmm. is encouraging us to say we shouldn't do that right we're gonna experience pain we're gonna experience hardship and it's gonna be bad it's gonna be difficult but it can also change us it can mold us mm-hmm. If we allow ourselves to be molded and shaped that situation, to rely on God, to put our entire being <laughs> at the feet of the throne of God and just say, God, I need you, yeah, and not shy away, not try and push ourselves into co- only comfortable situations, then I think it's going to be good for us. Sure. How, are, how do you think some of the ways are that we do shy away from those hard parts of life? Well, I'll speak from personal experience. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not one for confrontation. Okay. (laughs) And so it might be those moments of confrontation that we need to bring up to that person. Mm -hmm. Of saying, you know, maybe the way they're living isn't isn't the best way 
you know, isn't the way that God is calling them to live. Or looking at our own life, I think it's really easy to ignore the, ignore our own sin. Okay. Ignore those moments in our life where we just choose to live opposite of what God wants us to do. Sure. And even conf- confronting ourselves on that. And to be honest, funerals still have an uneasiness about them. Yeah. And so I think pushing into that and saying, you know, death is a reality. Yeah. And it shouldn't be an unhealthy fear, but we should have a, a an appropriate amount of fear that motivates us to live now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, just that reality of death, you know, in the last year and a half, Melissa and I have, been ex- have experienced four miscarriages. Yeah. Four losses. Yeah. And, you know... Uh, I like to stay busy. I'm I'm always mm. working and doing something, and my phone keeps me busy. There's always a book to read, an article to read, a podcast to listen <laughs> to, and it's so easy to just keep my mind busy and busy with that. And Melissa was really encouraging me, um, and, and and we even went to a counselor who encouraged us the same way. Like, actually, take time to be alone with your thoughts, mm. to grieve, yeah, to give yourself space to do that. Because the reality is, and I've seen this counseling other people too, so I should have known it for myself, but of course, you, you never take your own advice. No. Um, is that if you don't give yourself time to experience the grief, to have those times built into your life, like, I'm going to be sad right now. I'm going to let mm. the, the tragedy of the situation wash over me. If you don't do that, it's going to come out at some point. So just because you put it off, that's all you're doing is putting it off. Right. So if you're distracting yourself with whatever... TV, booze, um, work. Yeah. I mean, there's a million different options we can choose from in our world. But whatever we choose, the grief will come to sucker punch us. So might as well just embrace it. Yeah. Might as well embrace I, I, it. I think yeah, not only is that good, but I think it's really healthy. Yeah. I think it's often in those times where we're avoiding grief or we're avoiding pain that we yeah. turn to those other things to kind of fill that void. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it's good. I mean, I, I think... Usually we can remember the anniversaries in our own life of people who have died, but it's helpful to even remember those who who we care about, the people in their life. You know, I, I don't really think as much about necessarily my wife's grandparents who passed away. But, you know, we have the technology now to put a reminder on our phone and say, you know, remind me or put it on your calendar. So every year I remember them and remember to bring it up for my wife too, not in a negative way like, but it's a good thing to remember the people yeah. that have gone, to remember the death. And, and you know, the, the older we get, you and I will probably have more and more of those things it's to true. remember their lives. And I think it will help us focus our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, but I think encouraging the people, acknowledging that they're grieving on that day. Yep. And just saying, hey, I know what you're going through. I'm here for you. Yep, don't just make some stupid little joke Yeah, to avoid a tense situation. Have you ever done that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Many a time. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pro at that. Yeah, a pro at making the joke just because somebody else is sad. No, no, no. Embrace that moment. Yeah. Embrace that moment. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, as we look to these verses, um, I think that slowing down piece is, is, is so true. Because so, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all the things that we have to do or the latest alert on our phone. Um so I want, I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge me okay, right now, yeah. and, and maybe even the listener, listeners out there, just to take maybe five minutes, maybe do it right now even, 
Stop. Listen to what I'm going to say and then pause the podcast and actually take five minutes to, to think about your own life. The legacy you want to live, maybe even what you want on your tombstone. Mourn if you need to mourn. If, you, if you've been putting mourning off on the back burner for some, somebody in your life, something that you've lost, take the time to mourn, even if it's only for five minutes. Yeah. And, and just think, reflect. And acknowledge your sadness and, and just accept God's <laughs> overwhelming love for you. Because God wants us to grieve. I mean, Jesus at the loss of Lazarus, even though he was just about to heal and bring him back to life, he wept. Sure. He cried. He spent the whole night before he died. Yeah. In, in tears. Yeah. Jesus was great at being authentic and honest to his emotions. Yeah. And I think that's that's a model that we need to follow, even if it's only for these five minutes. Sure. Well, we're not going to hold you up any longer. This is the end of our first podcast, the 10,000, the podcast. There you go, 10,000. Um, so that's the end of our first episode, and we'd love to have you come back next week. If you liked it, share this on social media, even rate it on iTunes. We'd appreciate that so that we can kind of get this podcast out there and get going. Um, we'll see you next week. And think about death and hardship, and it's going to make your life better. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying.